I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 74 of That's a Good Question. What can Christians learn from the politics of 2021? Pastor Ken, we are down to our final two episodes for 2021. Wow. wow. Uh, we are, you know, we've got Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. coming up, so normally we publish on Saturdays. Those holidays fall on a Saturday, so we're going to take a break for those two weeks. And uh, today, then, and next week, we'll finish off 2021 uh, and then have our two-week break. And we thought this would be a good time for mm-hmm. us to do kind of a year in review. So Mm. for part one today and part two next week. And uh, in these episodes, what we want to do is just kind of go back through some of the key issues that we talked about this year. And uh, these things will tend to fall in one of two main categories. There's the political arena, and then there's the uh, spiritual issues and topics, doctrinal things that we talked about. And so perhaps... Uh, we'll take a week each okay. and talk about what can can we learn from this past year and what can we carry forward going into 2022. So we're going to devote one episode today to a review of the political year as it af- has affected our mission mm. as Christians. Mm. And uh, we want to answer the question, as I said in the title of the episode, what can Christians learn from the politics of 2021? Mm. And then next week, we'll look at some biblical and theological issues that we discussed this year. So what can we learn from the politics of this past year? Uh, the year began by carrying forward probably two main dominant themes mm-hmm. from 2020, yeah. the presidential, presidential election and the pandemic. Right. And there's good reason to think, you know, as we've discussed, that the two of these are related mm. um, because the major issue, one of the main issues in the campaign of 2020 was how best to handle the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Our president at the time, President Trump, would vacillate between playing it down, saying things like, it's, it's going to go away, mm-hmm. using words like magically, mm-hmm. it's going to magically mm-hmm. go away, mm-hmm. and uh, describing uh, this as something that's probably seasonal, or mm-hmm. we've, we've got this under control. Yeah. And... Uh, our, our issues are because we do too much testing was one of the things yeah, that he right, said. Right. Uh, that, that kind of misses <laughs> the point of the whole thing. Uh-huh. So, so let's start there with how the pandemic affected the election and how especially it affected churches yeah. and that. Well, the pandemic and the presidential election are most certainly related because I have little doubt that Donald Trump, uh, had he handled it even somewhat well, that he would have been reelected. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember the economy was doing well at the beginning of 2020, that election year. He was in good position then to be reelected. But the coronavirus presented a challenge that his usual approach to obstacles in his life just he could he couldn't handle it mm-hmm. with his usual approach. When faced with a challenge of any type over the years in business, politics, morals, whatever, his automatic knee-jerk reaction is to deny, 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 Mm. and deflect, deflect, deflect. 
and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> and eventually he wears folks down and, and many end up buying what he's, what yeah. he's selling. He's a marketer. Exactly. This is TV shows. Exactly. Yeah. He's done that with every scandal with which I've seen him deal, whether his tax returns in business, his dealings with countries like Russia and Ukraine and North Korea while he was in office and his interactions with porn stars and mm -hmm. in morals. His policy has always been to hit back harder than they hit you. And he's been successful at talking his way out of whatever it is, at least at least to this point. His detractors, and I and I must say that includes me, uh, have all thought it's going to catch up with him someday. But he still has grand juries, in fact, looking into his business finances. But to this point, he's never been indicted. At his age, he maybe will run out the, out the clock. Though I personally still believe he'll get his comeuppance in the next year or two, but we'll see. The pandemic, though, was the first thing he had ever encountered that he could not talk his way out of. Hmm. Not for lack of trying. <laughs> he took over, you may remember, the nightly task force briefings. Those started because Vice President Pence was in charge of the coronavirus task force, mm -hmm. and then he had their medical people, and they would come every evening, and they every evening at the beginning of that. And uh, apparently... President Trump saw that, saw the good ratings for that, and mm. he decided to be a part of that and actually took over those. It was a disastrous move. Yeah. But it was a blessing to Democrats because his mm. poll numbers started falling with his handling of those briefings and his overall approach to the pandemic. You, you may remember it was in those briefings that he toyed with the idea of folks being injected with disinfectant to cure mm -hmm. COVID. And I can still see Deborah Burks, one of his medical advisors, she's sitting over on the side of the White House briefing room while he's at the podium saying this, and she's literally cringing uh, mm -hmm. over there. And just before the election on November 3rd of 2020, he himself gets COVID. Mm -hmm. you remember, he had to go in the yeah. hospital, yeah. all of that. According to a book out just uh, this past week by his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, uh, who is still, by the way, even after writing this book, a Trump loyalist. Meadows says Trump had tested positive for COVID when he debated Biden just before the election, but did not tell the Biden people or the debate well, officials that, that he had it. Trump wound up, as we say, in the hospital. Reportedly, he was very, very sick. He was treated with medications that are unavailable to the rest of us, and he recovered. Now, when I say unavailable to the rest of us, I don't mean that as a slight He's the president. Sure. He should have yeah. the top medical care in the world, and I'm, and I'm glad he got that, and I'm glad he, he recovered. But the damage was done to his leadership and was the decisive factor in losing the election. Mm. So wait a second now. <laughs> Wasn't the decisive factor in the election loss really that he didn't actually lose? Oh, okay. Oh, that. You know, the election <laughs> was stolen, right? Mm. Well, that uh, that's how the 2021 year started, really. That's, right. and that's another issue that we covered this this claim that the election was stolen and flowing out of this an attempted insurrection at our right. capital right uh, the very first week of this year on january 6th so yep. there'd been a court case after court case all of which failed to prove what was claimed about the fraudulent election you've got sydney release the kraken powell going standing up in court saying no reasonable person should have believed what we were claiming oh you, you know what rudy Giuliani and i were, hey, were claiming hey did you know that there is a sports team now i think it's in the nhl but don't hold me to that but the krakens yes 
Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, wasn't the Seattle was it, that, that wasn't already? No, not that I. That's brand new as far okay. as I know. The Seattle Kraken, yeah. I think it is. But okay, interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about that yeah. because it's how the year began, and I think uh, the repercussions of this continue to this yeah. day. Well, I tell you, I am very, very concerned that the disinformation machine, into which many on our side of the political spectrum have given their ears and and many have given their hearts, that it's done great damage and and perhaps irreversible damage. I hate to be alarmist about it, but Mm -hmm. we've got to, our people have got to get out of this. We have been saying it for a couple of years now. And the reason is, is because it's so important. And and you say damage, it's damage uh, to the way, what our people believe as well as uh, credibility that we have that, that's in right. the world we're trying to reach. That's right. And it's done damage to our governmental institutions mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Those have been diminished. And to the extent that those are diminished, as we've talked about, we're less safe. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have a structure in the United States government mm-hmm. that is really uh, genius. And it has served us very, very well. Mm-hmm. And those are being eroded by this mis- misinformation, so mm-hmm. all of the above. Yeah, and, sure. and even that, I'm just, you know, yes. here we are, two pastors sitting yeah. talking about this. Even that, we've talked about in one of our, at least one of our episodes, that our hope for that even isn't just that we want personal peace and safety. Correct. But we pray for uh, peace in our land, that the mm-hmm. mission would be able to go on in As that. Paul says in First mm-hmm. Timothy 2, let's pray that we can live quiet and peaceable lives mm-hmm. because God, our savior would have all men to be saved. Yep. So relates that to the mission itself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But throughout the year, uh, right-wing media has blasted to its listeners and to its readers, what we should be afraid of according to them. And it's things like Marxism and martial law and mm-hmm. the court's going to be packed and all of those things. And so people bandy about terms like socialism and Marxism and yet some of these claims, as we have pointed out, were also made back when Social Security was passed in the right. 30s, when Medicare was passed in the 60s, things that no conservative would now voluntarily give up. In fact, all polls show vast majority of Americans approve of programs like that. Now, I'm not waxing political about what programs we should pass or, or shouldn't. I'm simply saying just a little history would help us with, with mm-hmm. things like that. Martial law, you want to talk socialism? Okay, you got that. You want to talk martial law? Was what the governors in blue states were supposedly looking to do mm-hmm. with their COVID lockdowns. That was part of what the right-wing media was scaring people with, going back to 2020 and then going into the, this year. Uh, so that's what they were using the lockdowns for, just as an excuse for eventual martial law. Here in our state of Michigan, remember, we were considered a gulag <laughs> to other parts of the world for a period of time. <clears throat> and I remember people telling me that, you know, she, she being our governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, is preparing for, for martial law, having people telling me this. Well, what proof do you have of that? Here we are in December now of 21, mm-hmm. and we don't even require masks in Michigan. We don't quite. Now, we have high level of hospitalizations and deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, as high or higher than anyone in the nation still uh, numbers right now. I saw over the weekend were the highest I think number one number still, one yeah. you know so a dubious distinction but 
But nevertheless, the governor still has not cracked down like that. And so all of that martial law talk. If that was the plan. That's what would be happening exactly, right now. Yeah. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. And then there's the packing the court, which we've reminded folks cannot be done except through Congress. And they don't have close to enough votes in order to do that, even if some people talk about doing it. And I do think you will hear talk about reforming the court uh, in the future, especially as the abortion decisions, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about uh, later mm-hmm. as those come down. But again, it's going to be talk. It's not, it's not going to happen. The scary parts of this, while those of us on the right side of the political stru- spectrum are told that these are the kinds of things we should be afraid of, mm-hmm. while they're mostly mirages, mm-hmm. the very real dangers are in turn downplayed. So we've got these kind of fake dangers, but you have real ones. Especially what you asked about, the claims of a stolen election. Mm -hmm. You know, after over a year of claims and so-called evidence, we are still bereft of any proof of widespread fraud that would have made a difference in the 2020 presidential election. And still yet a high percentage of Republicans believe it happened and that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. As you said, that's that's the danger because— uh, you know, this whole structure of our government exactly. rests upon the, the um, confidence we have in the ability to elect our officials. And, and it's being eroded in ways that we have never seen. Mm-hmm. And, and so the storming of the Capitol on January 6th may just be the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an article written again just this week in The Atlantic, and I refer you to it for your edification uh, but it's a scary, it's a scary article. Uh, and the guy who wrote it, Bart Gelman, Bart Gelman, The Atlantic, and he wrote this article saying, in effect, that that January sixth was a dress rehearsal for things that are he believes are structurally changing, such that this can happen, and probably will happen again if we have a close election, close elections in the next year, twenty two or certainly the presidential election in 24, then there's going to be that issue. This guy, Bart Gelman, had said in, um, in 2020, uh, while the presidential campaign was going on, he said, I should have the quote in front of me, but the gist of it was this, that he said Donald Trump, and this is before the election, Donald Trump will never concede. Mm-hmm. And the things he said that Trump would do and not do were exactly right. Exactly what has played out. And he even said, if he loses, he won't concede. If you're able to get him out of the Oval Oval Office, he will still maintain a campaign going forward. That's what this guy predicted. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely what has happened this entire Mm -hmm. year, this campaign that I didn't lose the election. So the storming of the Capitol earlier this year, at the beginning of this year, might be just the beginning. If we have those close elections next year in 24, the foundation has been laid to make claims of fraud and to take matters into your own hands, whatever that requires. After all, we're being told our country is at stake. So January 6th, that happens. January 15th, now this is just five days before inauguration, uh, President, former President Trump is still in, in the White House. January 15th of this year, Mike Lindell, he's the MyPillow guy, mm-hmm. and just... Just do a cursory Google on Mike Lindell and some of his crazy claims. I mean, they are insane. They are really, I mean, that's just not too much. They are insane, friends. If you're following any of that, stop. (laughs) Okay. But here he is, Mike Lindell, meeting at the White House on January 15th to discuss, guess what? 
the possibility of imposing martial law. So martial law is a fear, uh -huh. a legit fear, but not from exactly. the governor of Michigan. See, that's the thing. Yeah. We've got people fearing all of this. Meanwhile, there's all this going on. Mm -hmm. And we are being misdirected mm -hmm. on, on that. In states like Michigan and Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Georgia, these were all states that were claimed to be fraudulent in the 2020 election. Audits and reviews have been done, and they've determined, all of them, that there was no such thing. But meanwhile— Not audits by, led by Democrats. Exactly. Usually. Most of them, Michigan, mm -hmm. our state, uh, did a very thorough Republican-led 65-page mm -hmm. report. One by one, every claim debunked that, mm -hmm. that this happened. But meanwhile, though, Republican legislatures in many of those states and others have changed laws in the past year so that the legislature can decide who the winner of the state is. That's not what happens right now. Mm -hmm. The legislature doesn't do that. It's, most states, it's the secretary of state that has to certify and then pass on the electors Mm -hmm. to Congress, who then certifies it at the national level, or there's a commission in the state, but it's not the legislature. But now these they pass laws for many states to do that. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but Mark Levin, one of the Fox News guys, he mm -hmm. floated this idea, and, and I took it to task on our podcast saying, this is this. He was telling state legislatures to do this. Well, they didn't have the right to do it. Their own laws didn't allow them to do it. But many of them have changing their laws to allow them to do it next time, to seat their own electors for the electoral college rather than accepting the results of the election. So that make sure I'm following you right, yeah. and for anybody who's like me following yeah. you along at yeah. home, that's then really taking the ultimately the power of electing the from electors the from the people exactly. and putting it into that's the exactly what so now you've got elected officials with their motivations. Huh? choosing who we vote for president as a state for. So Michigan. Uh, Biden won Michigan. Biden won Michigan. It wasn't terribly close. 2016, Trump won Michigan by 11,000 votes. That is razor thin, 11,000 mm -hmm. votes. Mm -hmm. Biden won Michigan by 150,000 votes. Okay, It wasn't particularly close. But there are all these claims of fraud and all of that. All of them been debunked. But let's suppose that in 24, it's close. And let's mm -hmm. say Biden wins by 20,000 votes. 30,000 votes, you know, fairly close. Then you've got a Republican legislature who can now say, we don't think Biden won. Hmm. We think there was fraud going on. And we've seen how claims can be made without proof, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a very scary development. And you said it exactly right. That's the concern. So they couldn't do that uh, this time, this past time. So it moved to Congress to then object at, at the D.C. level, at the federal level. And that's the dance then that we all recall that some in Congress were willing to do on January 6th to say we're challenging these electors at the, the federal level. Ted Cruz was willing mm -hmm. to do that. Josh Hawley was willing to do that. A number of Republicans. It's a very dangerous dance, as it turns out. Now, though, several states have changed it so that the legislatures will be able to, to do that. So if a Republican legislature in a state that a Democrat wins doesn't like the outcome, they can change it. And the irony is that some of the very things then that we're being told to be afraid of, stolen elections and martial law, are being talked about not on the other side, right. but actually on our side. Yeah, 
that you characterized it well, I think, when you said this is misdirection. Misdirection. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a commission looking into what happened on January 6th, and it's been doing its work for about half of this year. Mm-hmm. What's the latest with that? Well, I'm glad we're talking about that because, for me, a Christian friend, <laughs> Christian friend listening to us, uh, if you want to pray about something in the political realm, uh, pray that the 1-6 Commission is able to get to the bottom of who organized, knew about, benefited from the violence at our Capitol on that day. Uh, that needs to be determined, and folks need to be held accountable. When we talked about this in January, we said that most who were there were simply protesting. Mm-hmm. The uh, numbers I've seen are about 30,000 people were at the ellipse Mm-hmm. Uh, several hundred yards away from the Capitol, and that's where the president, then President Trump, and others spoke to the crowd. And they were protesting the election, stop the steal, and mm-hmm. all of that. But they had, so they were wrong in what they were protesting. They had been ginned up mm-hmm. to go and do this mm-hmm. with these false claims. But nevertheless, they have the right to do the protesting, and none of us would object to that. And we said back in January, that's who most of the people there were. Uh, I've heard estimates of, as I say, 30,000 people there. And of that 30,000, you know, 25,000 or something were there in that category. Mm -hmm. But there were others who came organized and ready. Mm -hmm. And it's those groups, groups like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, whose funding and their coordination need to be exposed. That's what that commission, then the 1-6 commission, is looking into. Just this week, we learned that two days before the insurrection, some of those folks in those groups were in contact with people at the White House. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes, but it needs to go. It needs to be found out because this is dangerous to our country. Steve Bannon, who was in the Trump White House in the opening year and up to two years of the Trump administration and then was fired, but somehow got back into the good graces of, of Trump got a pardon from Trump for his own criminal activity, Bannon, Mm -hmm. got a pardon from him. And during that same time that he's getting a pardon in the interregnum, you know, between the election and the inauguration, that sort of lame duck period, Mm -hmm. he's getting a a pardon, but he's also ginning up the insurrection. Mm -hmm. In fact, he predicted what would happen on 1-6 the day before on his radio program. If you were to go back and listen to what Steve Bannon said, he's describing what actually took place. Here's a guy who was apparently in the know, and the 1-6 Commission wants to talk to him, but he's refused to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He's defied their mm-hmm. subpoena. That's He's now in contempt of Congress, all of that. So for some, 1-6 was a spontaneous event, and they just got caught up in it. But for others, it was planned. It was coordinated. It needs to be exposed. So I say pray that it is and that people are held accountable. Yeah. Uh, now we've got a new administration mm. that is pro-abortion. Yeah. And so that issue's been front and center in a number of ways this past year. So let's talk about some of those as well. We talked earlier in the year about uh, what would happen with abortion. And there was on right-wing media all of the talk about 
the Hyde Amendment. Mm -hmm. And the Hyde Amendment has been in place since 1976. Mm -hmm. And every uh, budget since 1976 has had the Hyde Amendment in it. And here's what it is. It is simply saying that no funding in this budget, Congress passes this budget, no funding in this budget will go for abortion. So there will be no federal funding of abortion through Medicaid, for, mm -hmm. for example. That's the Hyde Amendment. And even though there are a lot of people in Congress who oppose that and would like to see federally funded abortion, it has passed for all of these years, uh, 1976. So, you know, Biden comes in, he's pro-abortion. And so the right-wing media says, you know, the Hyde Amendment is, well, guess what? The Hyde Amendment is still intact <laughs> because uh, we keep trying to press home here that all of these claims, many of these claims that are made about what's going to happen at the federal government level what people don't take into consideration is how hard it is to get some of those things done. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the very reason that there is gridlock a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we always complain about yes. gridlock. Yes. It's by design that it's there's gridlock. It's by design gridlock. to be yeah. gridlock. The wheels so turn slowly so and deliberately. Exactly. Yeah. And so in the Senate, you have the filibuster, the much maligned filibuster, but, you know, it's 50-50 in the Senate. Now, the because the vice president is the president of the Senate, mm -hmm. it's confusing enough for you, then it's 51-50 for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. So technically they have the majority. But the filibuster means you have to have 60 votes actually to pass almost anything that goes through the Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would include the, the, Hyde, the Hyde Amendment, getting rid of it. I can't do that, you just don't right. have it. Okay, the Mexico City policy, we talked about that then. Now mm -hmm. that's the, in effect, the Hyde Amendment at an international level. Mm -hmm. What it's saying is no uh, funding from our government can go to other governments or agencies in other countries for abortion mm -hmm. purposes. Uh, and all Republican administrations always sign an executive order that say mm -hmm. that's the way it's going to be. And then within the first week of a new Democratic administration, they reverse that. This probably requires another episode, but it is puzzling to me that that would go back and forth and not the one at home you know, but sending the, money elsewhere. But the one is legislative. Right. And the other one is an executive order. There you and go. So that's you, the that difference. sums it up. They yeah. can do it with a stroke of a pen. Right. And they can't do that with a Hyde Amendment. So thus, amendment. You know, mm -hmm. it's an amendment to a law. And and so people just need to bear that, that stuff in mind. Yeah. Meanwhile, we've got the Supreme Court uh, has been looking at the issue of abortion. Uh, in fact, just uh, this past, in the last two weeks, they heard oral arguments in a case out of Mississippi that has the potential of overturning Roe, Roe v. Wade. Um, and we'll know whether they're actually going to do that in June. And we covered that just on a really recent episode. So yeah. if you want to get caught up on that. Uh, we also talked about religious liberty, mm. uh, whether or not it's truly under attack. So how do you think that front is going? You know, we talked about it uh, with regard to the LGBTQ agenda. And I said then, and I believe now, that our churches are not in, in danger, that there is nothing that's being imposed on our church mm -hmm. for us to do anything differently. And I don't see it on the horizon. In spite of a shift culturally Indeed. in views on this Indeed. and, and uh, the passion behind it. Yes. Uh, that we're still being repeatedly protected. The LGBTQ protected. agenda is moving forward mm -hmm. culturally, as you say. But in terms of what we do as a church and what our religious freedom, there's none of that is being uh, affected. Mm -hmm. And it won't be for a very long, a long time with the current composition of the courts. 
Now, I be- in fact, I believe further that even with the cultural advance, that there's going to be a backlash on that mm-hmm. with the more outlandish things that the LGBTQ agenda has. Things like shared bathrooms, mm-hmm. things like sports, and I can declare myself as a guy to be a gal, and now I'm participating in effect as a boy among girls in sports. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing stories already about that. Of, yeah. uh, you know, somebody just cleaning up and right. setting records right. because, because, no, well, people just aren't going to put up with that. Right. Okay. So there'll well, be a backlash. Even, even infighting in the more progressive circles and liberal there circles is. about, you know, people who are feminists yes. don't take kindly to Correct. <laughs> men commandeering their issues. That's right. And, That's yeah. right. So there's that too, that again, we don't often take into consideration the, the pendulum and the backlash. Mm-hmm. Just this week, the Supreme Court heard a case about religious school funding. And whether or not, uh, in fact, it's in the state of Maine, it's in Maine, and Maine uh, funds, gives funds to parents for them to choose daycares to go to. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. But, and they've done it for religious schools too, religious daycares, church Mm -hmm. daycares. But that's been taken to court by somebody who says that violates separation of church and state. So the court has heard that. They, I, I don't guarantee much, you know, but I will guarantee you <laughs> that this court <Okay. laughs> is going to rule in favor of the churches and those religious daycares. They've already had previous decisions along those lines. When they heard the oral arguments on this, they were very skeptical, skeptical of the idea of discriminating against religious right. discrimination. Right. Well, okay, what's that going to mean? That now is a favorable decision towards something you've heard about for years, vouchers, mm-hmm. school vouchers. Right. If the Supreme Court says you you can't do you can't do that, well, that now moves one step further toward the possibility of of states deciding we're going to give educational money to parents mm-hmm. and say use this where you want to How use you it, want, yeah. and that would include religious private schools. Hmm. Uh, if if there was one phrase that uh, would be phrase of the year this past year. I think uh, a strong contender would be critical race theory. Yep. Or you might not have even heard that phrase, but you hear CRT. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Hear it called that all the time, uh, which is just that used to be the old. That used to be the, the old terminal that I worked on connected it's to my main CRT. Term. Was that cathode ray tube? But <laughs> you, you remember that? I did. No, I'm <laughs> embarrassed like that you terminal. know that and I don't. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I have older to turn you. my geek card in. <laughs> Uh, it seems to be used in just about every telecast, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, every conservative media uh, show that you turn on. And uh, close to CRT would be cancel culture. Uh-huh. Yeah, those two for sure. So how about what's going on with Well, those? with regard to CRT, um, wh- what that is, it's an analytical approach that takes into consideration the effects of racism mm-hmm. on justice and how it's played out, politics, commerce, relationships. It sees race as endemic to life and so sees it as a causal factor in just about everything. Uh, so it's, in CRT, it's race is ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's taken into consideration in ways you don't even realize is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying what the CRT advocates say. And therefore, people have to be convinced that, according to the CRT advocates, that they have to be shown that they are racist at heart, even mm-hmm. if not in mind. Mm-hmm. That is, we're motivated by race, says CRT, even when we don't realize it. Now, I think I think we are motivated subconsciously about things that we don't, subconsciously, mm-hmm. that we don't consciously think about. And so we shouldn't dismiss the idea that we've acquired views 
of people of color that influence the way we see and interact with them. To me, it's similar to how we defer, or at least I've read we defer, and, and my experience bears this out, my observation. Like taller people hmm. command more attention, move mm-hmm. up in mm-hmm. business and in politics. You know, there's just something that it kind of triggers. This is somebody in control, you know, for me for me to follow. That's why, you know, we've, we'll never make it in business or, or politics. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always try to make sure my chair's a little higher than yours. <laughs> And so I'm wondering how you managed to do that. I, think I, I, I just think, don't slouch when the camera's I, I think on. I know the reason is that, uh, well, well, yes, one, I slouch, and two, uh, my, my chair sinks down for some reason. I don't know what that is. But. <laughs> <laughs> but surprise, surprise, both sides take this all too far. Mm-hmm. You know, from the right side, you're correct to say that it's all CRT all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went, I had occasion just this past week to go to the Accuracy and Academia uh, website Accuracy in Academia. That's a, a right-wing website that monitors things that are being taught in schools at academic level. Uh, literally every article was about CRT. <laughs> and we quoted earlier this year the king of CRT fear-mongering, a guy named Christopher Rufo. He's on Fox mm-hmm. News all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he said this. He tweeted earlier this year, March 15th, quote, The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. Here's what he's saying. We want people to, when they hear anything they don't like that's unpopular with, we want them to put it under the banner of CRT. That's what we're trying to do. That, that's been pretty successful, too. I've heard folks yes. talking about CRT, yeah. sometimes not even knowing what right. CRT Everything stands for. It. Yeah, and this is not a defense of CRT. Right. This is saying let's, critic, let's be uh, uh, smart and accurate about how we are critical. Yeah, right. Yeah. But that's the right. Now, you certainly do have folks on the left who see race in everything, mm-hmm. and they demand that you acquiesce to their claims that you're a racist. And... They feel the need to teach your children in school that those children and their parents are are racist. Mm-hmm. So you do have that that going on. There's no doubt about it. As for cancel culture, though, uh, boy, what a nice problem to have for conservatives <laughs> these days. Really, I mean, I'm old enough now to just remember in the days where we didn't have a voice that could be canceled. I mentioned accuracy in academia. Accuracy in Media is an organization that started in 1969. Mm. Well, it was a conservative group. A guy named Reed Irvine started that. And why did he start it? Because the media was so liberal, was so biased. And so he started an organization to keep track of the liberal bias in the media. Going back to 1969, we didn't have a voice anywhere. You didn't have cable TV. Wait, you didn't have Fox News. Are you saying this was fact-checking? <laughs> That's what and it wasn't. It, and it wasn't bad. And it, yes, and it was on our side, so it was a good thing then, right? You know, now the fact checkers are no good, supposedly. But but that's what he was doing, and it was because the media was in fact so liberal, and we had no voice. Mm-hmm. Then he and others started a sister organization in 1985, Accuracy and Academia, to do the same kind of thing. Because if you if you think that our colleges recently became liberal. <laughs> You know, I went to college in the early 80s. <clears throat> I went to state college, secular college. And I can tell you firsthand, that's one of the reasons that I just don't understand then people. I, I do know what's going on here. What's going on here is 
What has been happening for a very long time is now being publicized Mm -hmm. and is now being intensified by right-wing media Mm -hmm. so that people Mm -hmm. think it's new when, in fact, it's it's not new. Uh, I know that I've mentioned on our podcast before, 1983, Cal Thomas, Christian journalist, wrote a book called Book Burning. Mm -hmm. And it was in the 80s that um, the moral majority had helped elect Ronald Reagan and liberals were very concerned about all these religious people getting involved in politics, and we were being accused of book burning. That is, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to libraries, and in some cases this was true, and so it got a lot of airtime on 60 Minutes and all of that. You got these conservative religious people going and saying, these books can't be on the shelf, they're, they're offensive, that kind of thing. So he writes a book, Cal Thomas does, called Book Burning, and he says, look, <laughs> you, guys have, you guys have the advantage of having books on the shelf, that can be con- in contention. Our books don't even get on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And he gave all of these e- examples of New York Times actually bestsellers by conservative authors, but they don't get put in the public library. Kids did it back in the day. That mm-hmm. was the way it was. Mm-hmm. It was an excellent point, and it was absolutely true, but that goes back to 1983. Now we have an embarrassment of riches mm-hmm. that we didn't have before. You, you now have a voice that can be canceled. So the irony of this is that we're, we're crying about cancel culture when, in fact, it is a function, it is a result of the fact that we are actually out there more than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what do Christians then, these mm. two issues, CRT, cancel culture, what, what do we do? <clears throat> well, I just say be skeptical of people who peddle stuff. Mm. <laughs> who peddle you know anything just you know be very careful and understand that there is a monetization of fear mm. that that cable news especially but the internet also with clickbait mm-hmm. is monetizing your fears and so they want you to to see the Chiron. Did we decide that that's what it's called? The Chiron at the bottom. I'm, I'm going to take right. you. I'm going to take your word for that. <laughs> and they want you to see that flash going across mm-hmm. and get alarmed with the breaking news. And they want you to see the thing flashing to click on the clickbait. But that's so that you can sell ads. That's so that you keep coming back. And the Nielsen ratings are the highest because you keep coming back mm-hmm. because this is where I get the the real scoop about what's really going on and what the mm-hmm. liberals are really trying to do. So you have CRT doing that on both sides, and cancel culture is. Uh, claimed at a, a time when conservatives now have more voices than we've ever had, as I said. But to keep the audience, they have to make you fear because fear sells. You know, we've heard sex sells. Mm-hmm. Fear sells just as well or better. And I would actually say better, especially to certain segments. Take like seniors, mm-hmm. right? It's not so much sex selling, but fear Mm-hmm. to seniors, to the senior population, which mm-hmm. we have a ton of, you know, folks in the old, yeah. in that older segment. It's and, a large, segment's larger than it's ever been. Larger right? than it's ever been. And so it's marketed to them. Fear is marketed mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. yeah. All right. So in our time we've got left, mm-hmm. let's hit on let's several more topics if we can, several <clears throat> if we can, uh, that came up this year. Just kind of go rapid fire with okay. them. So Biden administration, okay. go. Well, you know, <laughs> They, you know, they had the Afghanistan debacle, right? Yeah. And then uh, they've had the infrastructure thing that took forever mm-hmm. to, to get done. Now they got one half of it done, but they've got to try to get the other half of that done. Uh, so that's been led to low poll numbers for, mm-hmm. for Biden. Afghanistan can be forgotten if he avoids another conflict 
like maybe could happen in Ukraine. You know, mm-hmm. we'll see because there's tensions there. And the economy could rally this, this coming year. But still, um, the Democrats will lose the House of Representatives in 22, and they may well lose the Senate as well. All right. Mark those predictions down. (laughs) We kind of touched on it earlier as we were talking about stability in our government, but abortion? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll probably talk more about it the third week of January because that's the anniversary Mm. of Roe v. Wade. But the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court, as I said earlier, heard this case a couple of weeks ago out of uh, the state of Mississippi that could well overturn Roe or at least severely modify it. We will know in June. But in any case, the issue is now going to be left, when they're done with us, the issue is going to be left to the states to handle more than states are allowed to now. Okay. We talked about the judicial judicial system and several decisions, key decisions that we're watching right now. Yeah. What's the you know, this past those? year, we, we had these big controversial cases. You know, overall, you think about it, they I think they got them right. Uh, you know, the Derek Chauvin, mm-hmm. George Floyd case, the police officer who was at the knee on the neck, he was convicted. You know, given all the evidence, a jury decided that. It seems to be right. Kyle Rittenhouse, we talked about him, mm-hmm. you know, the teenager who went across state lines, went over to Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, shot some, some people while he was there and uh, killed a couple of uh, people. Uh, but again, a jury of 12 people, you know, heard this and heard all of the evidence. And I was able to read as, as much as I could on that. And overall, even though, as we said on the podcast, why is a teenager doing this? You know, why mm-hmm. is he running around with an AR-15 and all of that? That all aside... In terms of was was he in fear for his life and did he have the right to defend himself? It appears they got it right. The Ahmad Arbery down in Brunswick, Georgia, and you had a father and son and a friend of theirs in this neighborhood that saw him running through the neighborhood and decided to make a citizen's arrest. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't armed or any of that, and he ends up being killed. Well, those all three of them were convicted, so they all seem to have gotten it right. I, I just say to you again, friends, that courts, I think, are our best hope mm-hmm. for holding the executive branch and the legislative branch accountable. I appreciate how you said that, too. You didn't say perfect. You cool. said our best hope. Our best hope. Yeah, Thanks for pointing show that Show us out. a better system. Yes, right? that's right. That's right. It's our best hope. They're not perfect, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, right now, the one-six insurrectionists are in courts all over the country. Mm-hmm. Courts are authorizing congressional subpoenas for that. The Supreme Court is ruling overall in a rightward direction on things like religious freedom and abortion. So that's all a good thing. Yeah. And then uh, as we go into the the new year, so as we head into 2020, yeah. uh, 2022, <laughs> 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 wow, the older you get, the more frequently I find that happens. Uh, as we head into 2022, yeah. what, do you, what would you say is your biggest concern? It's the same as it's been for the last few years, uh, misinformation and discernment. Mm-hmm. There is just a, a tsunami of misinformation out there. And we have warned and warned and warned. And I think as pastors, we're going to have a duty to continue to try to do that, you know. But that means teaching discernment mm-hmm. and practicing discernment. So those are my biggest concerns going into this year is how we choose our media sources and how we discern, which means to distinguish. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Truth from error. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for watching throughout the year for the uh, uh, 
repeated sharing and uh, tuning in to see our episodes every Saturday. Uh, I remind you as we uh, finish out the year, if you're not already, subscribe to our YouTube channel and click that notification bell so you know when new episodes come out. Try to publish every Saturday at 2 p.m. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com or text it to us at 97000.